What's up, NBA fans? The NBA Finals are in full swing. We've got the Celtics' number one defensive-rated team in the regular season versus the Warriors, the number two defensive-rated team in the regular season, and both defensive juggernauts in the playoffs so far meeting each other in the NBA Finals. And so far, games one and two have not disappointed. It's been a lot of very tactical basketball maneuvering and a lot of great basketball being played. Steph Curry is is lighting it up and the Celtics uh, outdid the Warriors in game one but the Warriors bounced back with some good adjustments to take game two with the tides with the tied series here both teams have had an interesting journey to the finals but well both I think both deserving here I think we truly are seeing the best two current teams going at each other Sean what are your reactions so far to this finals matchup Man, this has been a very interesting NBA Finals, Alan. I think that the Celtics are more for real, I think, in people's minds than they ever have been. I know Mm -hmm. going into this series, the Warriors were just the betting favorites for everyone. Everyone was picking the Warriors. But all of the, I guess you could call them the algorithms... All, all of the 538 models and, and statistical analysis from B-Ball reference, they all had the Celtics as pretty overwhelming favorites going into this series, which is really interesting. Like, in a lot of models had the Celtics winning 60% of the time, um, yep. which is huge. I, I mean, especially when you account for all the Warriors' experience in 10 years. Obviously, that's what everyone's betting on. But mm-hmm. the Celtics... I guess the model seems to like the matchup against them. So it's it's been a great series so far, obviously. I mean, the Celtics just steal that one at home, game one, and the Warriors are able to obviously bounce back in game two. But it, it's been a really fun one so far, Alan. I, I think that if you like defense, this series has been really good. Um, but if you just mm-hmm. like high-flying offense, you're probably not even tuning in. Um yeah. <laughs> I think an interesting call out too that I was thinking about is this may be one of the first few finals I've seen where there isn't a player that's arguably, you know, that's pretty, a pretty clear cut, a top five player in the game right now. Is Steph Curry you not? A, you can make a strong argument that Curry is, but yeah. I feel like Curry is still like borderline. I, I For me, like top five, Giannis, Luka, uh, Jokic, um, did I say Giannis? I think yeah, I Giannis, Giannis Yoko, yeah, Jokic, Luka, Joel, Embiid. Joel Embiid. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I like, guess there's an argument like Steph can fill that fifth spot, at, but a lot of other guys could too. Um, right. But he's he's certainly proving so far that he's worthy of that fifth spot with the way he's playing so far. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, another interesting call out I think before since we didn't get to t- chat about this is just how close the Celtics were to not being here how close the <laughs> miami heat were to one jimmy upsetting butler, them one jimmy butler three which mm-hmm. i mean let's let's talk about that for a second alan because i mean we yeah. didn't get to really cover a bunch of that series together on the podcast last time but that was a, quite a series too i mean jimmy butler did basically the same thing that he did in that uh series against the lakers in the bubble finals where he would just go off for certain games uh, game six being one of them, obviously, and he just he just lit it up from all over offense and defense, and it just seemed like he needed to do it again if they were gonna win mm-hmm. game seven too. And man, I cannot believe the Celtics almost gave that up. And then I I don't, I don't know about you, I don't know how you feel about the shot, but when Jimmy Butler jacked up that three with like eighteen seconds left on the clock in the fourth to try to win the game. I, I knew it wasn't going in. I I knew it was a terrible shot. No, I felt the exact same way. I think he pulled up with like 12 seconds left in the shot clock. He had a couple guys running a- alongside him in transition. I, I don't remember off the top of my head who that was. Um, that was a ballsy shot, and that was a hero shot for sure. Uh, what was he shooting? 25% from three in yeah, this he's game. Not, he was uh, one yeah. for four. <laughs> He's not the for most prolific three-point shooter, and he definitely has guys on the roster who are more so that, but I really felt like going in transition, like that you attack Horford going, you know, he was running on his heels. He was basically scrambling to get himself somehow in position. Jimmy Butler yeah. easily just dribbles around him, Euro steps or um, 
pulls up for and you know just cross your fingers and hope that Horford files you and you get a bucket and you get the and one. Yeah. Which I I gotta say it felt to me like there was a 30-40% chance that would have happened, but easily a 70% chance he still gets a two mm-hmm. two points either way. Oh yeah. So I think I would I would have voted to go attack the basket, but you know, you just gotta make a decision and you gotta live with it. He pulled up for three. If that goes in Miami goes oh, up by one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think the Celtics probably are so gassed out and probably their spirits are sucked so bad that I don't think they respond on the other end. And I was listening to the Bill Simmons uh, podcast and, you know, he's a huge Celtic fan. I don't really listen to his podcast very often, but <laughs> I was just on a walk and I felt like I got to listen to this. And they brought yeah. up an interesting point that if Miami had made that shot, would that have been one of the most the, mo- the most, you know, gut-punching playoff losses ever. Oh, um, man, I would have to think so, yeah. Yeah, you're leading by 15 most of that game, mm-hmm. you, even with, like, what I I think the Celtics also... I mean, the Miami Heat fought back, got within one possession, and then the Celtics lit it up again. Yep. And somehow, within the last minute and a half, and Max Struess goes up. Yeah. <laughs> Max Struess hits a couple big buckets. Jimmy Butler... uh and all of a sudden, it's a one possession game out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. That would that would have been that a very devastating. Yeah, loss. like we would. Yeah, we would be talking about the Celtics having to like rebuild everything because they mm-hmm. collapsed so hard. You can't possibly win with this roster if they have the ability to tank a game so hard with like three minutes left. So, yeah, very fortunate that Jimmy Butler chose to take the low percentage shot, especially for him. And I understand, like, the moment, and you want to be the hero, and you you are the hero, really, for Miami. But, man, I, you just have to think. You're, you're on your home floor. Like, if you just go in and tie the game, you have all the momentum, even if it just goes to overtime. Like, you're still way more favored than the percentage chance you get of making that three-point shot. And I, I just, I can't get behind it. I, I've, I've heard the reasoning of, of all, all the things we've mentioned, but it's... It's not a good shot. It really isn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate. <laughs> That's the thing, too. It would have been a very consequential made shot. Yeah, Boston probably gets blown up a little bit. Some of those mm-hmm. guys probably get traded. Or at least <laughs> yeah. maybe Derek White gets moved, Peyton Pritchard, a package that sort of remakes this starting lineup a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Like, I bet the team's even more willing to move all Horford off the books. Uh, yeah, that, that ain't more younger pieces. <laughs> yeah, that ain't happening anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's not happening anymore. Like now, all Horford is like applaud for the. Now the Celtics look like geniuses for still paying <laughs> this guy thirty million plus. Yeah, and Derek that, White too. Yeah, they're not they're mm-hmm. not getting rid of Derek White ever. Like he's a Celtic oh, for yeah. a long time now. Yeah, exactly. That that shot lets them go into the finals, and it lets Derek White have the biggest game of his career. Al Horford too. <laughs> the biggest game of their careers. Game one, I think good transition here. Uh, game one, the Celtics outscoring the Warriors by 24 points in the fourth quarter to take that 120-108 win. Uh, the Celt- the Warriors were going into that fourth quarter with a decent lead. Steph Curry goes to the bench. Um, the Celtics go with their bench mob with Derek White, uh, Marcus Smart, Al Horford, um, a couple other dudes, Grant Williams, and... Who who knew that this was in there? Uh, Derek White hitting more three pointers than he had in any game before joining the Celtics back in February. <laughs> All Horford hit more th- more threes than he ever had in his entire fifteen year career. Uh, these guys basically combined uh, to shoot uh, fifteen for twenty three from three. All Horford, Derek White, and Marcus Smart for forty five points to open completely open it up. In that fourth quarter, and the Celtics and the Warriors had no shot at ever really coming back from that. Uh, Jason Tatum notably struggled three for seventeen. Um, it seemed like the whole strategy for the Warriors in this game one was make life difficult for Jason Tatum, make life difficult for Jalen Brown. Unfortunately, Jason Tatum found his guys. Thirteen assists for him. Jalen Brown found th- these guys, and the driving kick strategy for the Boston Celtics really worked out. As you know these role players just came out to play and knocked down, knocked down all the opportunities that they got. 
Yeah, and I, I've heard so many different takes on how this game ended and how each team should feel about it. I've heard the Celtics should feel great because they were able to mount this epic comeback on the Warriors' home floor. I've heard the Celtics should feel bad because they needed these role players to step up like crazy, and they're never going to do that again. I've heard mm-hmm. the Warriors should be happy because, you know, it was just a fluke that they lost in the fourth quarter. They are dominating them for most of the game. But I've heard it's a good thing for the Warriors. It just there's so many so many different mm-hmm. ways people analyze this, um, which is which is what I think makes it such an interesting series is that you don't quite know who has the upper hand yet. Right. Um, yeah, like even going into it, like we discussed, no one's really certain of which team has the upper hand. The matchups seem to work out really well on paper for the Celtics, but in practice, the Warriors have shown that they can easily dominate them. Um, But for the Celtics to get this win in game one, especially with Jason Tatum only scoring 12 points, that was a pretty big deal. And yeah, like you said, Horford getting six threes. I mean, I think the Celtics started the fourth quarter seven for seven from three. Like they, they just literally could not miss. But then on the other end, they were still stopping the Warriors from scoring at all. And this Mm -hmm. is the Warriors home floor. This is, this is not even a scrub team we're talking about man this is Steph Curry this is Clay Thompson Jordan Poole like these dudes know how to score they're on their home floor in the NBA finals they have all the playoff experience in the world and they got absolutely smacked by this team that has not been to the NBA finals since 2008 none of these Mm -hmm. guys have been and so it's like how did this happen and then that's when you start hearing about how Ime Udoka is just the man right mm-hmm. Ime Udoka is the one that led this spirited comeback that you know made it so that they didn't give up hope that they could win this game and that they just man they just took it and ran and you just hear these great stories um ESPN actually had a really good piece on Ime Udoka talking about you know how he is growing up um he was hit by a bus when he was four years <laughs> old uh, did, wow. uh yeah I don't, know, I don't know if you got to read any of this but yeah he like I did not he got his yeah, he's got his head smashed like a pumpkin, but he, he survived, obviously. Um, <laughs> grew up pretty pretty poor. I mean, his his dad would go between jobs because he, he was oppressed, you know, racism. Um, but he'd always stand up for himself, even though people told him not to, just keep your head down. But he's like, no, I'm getting mistreated. So he'd keep going between jobs and trying to make it work. So he grew up in a pretty impoverished household, and he used basketball as an outlet. And you just tell that this guy was so passionate about basketball that he just he just kept grinding. He wanted to be an NBA player. Eventually, got to be an NBA player, uh, but he tore his ACL twice in the same knee, and it prevented him from wow. having really anything of a career. Uh, he got picked up for a few years in Portland, um, and luckily, this is where you know things started turning around for him. The, the San Antonio Spurs picked him up for a couple of years as a player, just a bench role. Um, but then in 2012, he became an assistant for them under Greg Popovich. And that's what he was doing the nine years before he got the job at Boston. So he learned the Popovich system. He learned how to work with star players, especially ones that are inexperienced, because that's what Popovich did with, you know, back when Duncan and Parker were inexperienced. He raised them and molded them into the NBA veterans they became. And so now we're seeing Udoka do the same thing with, with Tatum and Smart and, and Jalen Brown um, and just getting them all to buy in, you know, like setting their egos aside and getting them to buy into the system and buy into to the, the mentality that he's trying to get into them. And so that's really, I think, what highlighted that game one comeback win was the fact that Ime Udoka was able to to get these these guys who had no playoff experience going up against multiple NBA championship veterans and taking it to them on their home court. Yeah. Yeah, I mean this. This is a very he's done in some very impressive coaching, and the Celtics themselves are just they're just the ultimate team in terms of the versatility and the chess pieces you have. And I was really impressed with what I saw in the fourth quarter with that lineup they he threw in there, taking advantage of Steph Curry being on the bench, the mm-hmm. Warriors not really being able to generate any offense to respond to what the Celtics were doing to them at the start of that fourth quarter. Um, but I think that's sort of like the story here that you were alluding to earlier, Sean. It's like, it's tough to really understand who has the advantage here, who really has the best player on the court. You want to say Curry, 
Jason Tatum has done some special things throughout the playoffs as well. Mm -hmm. And who really owns the matchups? Like it's, it's tough to really declare one having the advantage, especially once we go into game two, like game two was just a different story. Now the Warriors adjusted and their defense really just is suffocating a hyperbole. Maybe, but the Celtics only threw down 88 points. And yeah. <laughs> some of those minutes, we actually got, like, garbage time. I think the whole the fourth flag... quarter was garbage time. <laughs> yeah, the white flag was raised. Imudoku's, <laughs> yeah, yanked his starters once the Warriors went up by 29 points with 10 minutes and 45 minutes remaining in the fourth quarter. So the final score doesn't almost doesn't even really tell the full story. But essentially, the Warriors outscored the Boston Celtics 35-14 to in that third quarter. And they played it all the way to the end, unlike in game one, where they sort of eased off a little bit in the mm-hmm. first minute, in the last minute of the third quarter. And then that carried in, carried on into the fourth where the Celtics went on their run. This time, they played it all the way through, all the way through to the end of that third quarter. It started, started aggressive in that fourth and really put the game away. And the adjustments for the Warriors, it's all on the defensive end. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of chatter of like, Draymond Green's antics in this game and whether they borderlined, you know, very cheap, cheap shots, maybe technical foul worthies. There was a lot of that in there. <laughs> but I mean, regardless of how you what you want to call it, it had an impact. Uh, the adjustment Draymond Green being placed on Jalen Brown right from the start. So Steve Kerr opted to not have Clay Thompson on Jalen Brown to start the game. And it had an effect. Jalen Brown, 17 points overall and one for 11 shooting. After the first quarter, uh, the Warriors, again, really tough defensively, 33 points off of the 19 turnovers uh, from the Boston Celtics and held them down to under 90 points and 37% shooting overall. A team that's been shooting 45% throughout the entire playoffs and limiting that kick and drive from Brown and Tatum really limited the open looks for Harford, White, and Derek Marcus Smart, who went from having career three-point shooting nights in game one to hardly even getting a chance to attempt any in game two, <laughs> seven three point attempts in total between the three and Horford didn't even attempt a single one, one for four uh, from the field as well for him. So it's all, the Warriors just made the right adjustments here to really just <laughs> stun the Celtics and stop their offensive game. And I mean, they took advantage on the offensive end as well. Yeah. I mean, playoff series are really just a big game of chess. You know, one team makes a move and the other team has to counter it. And so the mm-hmm. Warriors did just that. So now it's going to be up to Boston in Game 3 to figure out what they need to do differently to, to counter what the Warriors have put up against them. But, I mean, really, it's, obviously Draymond Green is a huge part of this, but I think Steph Curry is just he is on a mission to be the NBA Finals MVP because yeah. this guy is just playing out of his mind. I mean, all, he averaged 31 points a game so far this series. It could have been a lot more if he played any of the fourth quarter yes, or in uh, game two, shooting 45% from three. And he's getting three steals a game right now over these first two games, which for him, that is those are big numbers because no one really sees Steph Curry as a defensive player. But his defense has been very solid so far through these first two games, especially in game two. I was watching him on a lot of those pick and rolls. He was sticking. He was doing the right plays and putting his body in the right place to to upset the play. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I've been pretty impressed. I don't know if you've noticed that too, but I I think Steph Curry's defense is much improved. Yeah, and I mean he's going to have to do that because this Warriors team just doesn't quite have the wings that it did previously. You know, the Andre Iguodala, the help. The, he's there. The, <laughs> the younger, the younger yeah. Andre Iguodala's of the world. You know, the long, dur- the length of Durant and. Uh, Deshaun Livingston's that used to come off the bench, etc. You know, especially Clay Thompson. Like Clay Thompson is just not who he used to be offensively, nor nor defensively. So uh, Steph Curry's just got to take a big step up, especially when the best guy coming off your bench is Jordan Poole, who is kind of being hunted yeah. down defensively. Mm-hmm. So you got to try just do your role and do your best against this this Celtic team that's very much wing has a very wing oriented offense and on that note i mean offensively yes steph curry has been on fire in game one 34 points game two almost 30 points again very efficient shooting so 
everything starts with him. And when he's playing well, the Warriors just have that momentum going for them because you look at the rest of the dudes, it's Draymond Green, incredible, impactful game, but offensively two for three, nine points. Clay Thompson, four for 19. Um, he went so the offense isn't coming from the traditional guys anymore. It's coming from these other dudes, the Kevin Looney's of the world, Andrew Wiggins, uh, Jordan Poole, who really had stepped up in game two, six for six for 14, you know, after going, I think he went yeah two for seven mm-hmm. in game one. So I think when Curry is aggressive, it makes it a lot easier for these other dudes to also uh, start making their shots. And I, I, cause I, I mean, the Clay Thompson of the past isn't coming in to help create shots and alleviate uh, some of that offensive pressure off Steph, Steph Curry or that offensive creation from Steph Curry. It's just not going to happen. So he just needs to get the ball going, knocking down some shots and opening up looks for the rest of the guys. Yeah. So I, I guess that that's a topic I want to cover with you is just talking about a little bit about Clay Thompson. I mm. mean, this is a guy we saw at the end of the regular season. He was starting to show flashes of his old self averaging like 30 points a game over those last like few weeks. And he was just lighting it up. And then he, that even carried over into the first round when I mean, he, he had some good numbers against the nuggets. Uh, but as the playoffs have kind of gone on, you've started to see his inconsistency come back a bit. And now we're at the point in the finals where he, his first two games have been pretty bad. His first mm-hmm. game was okay. He didn't have a lot of, of residual like uh, residual stats between rebounds and assists. He just had some points, just like 15 points. But then, yeah, he had an abysmal game in game two when it seemed like the whole Warriors team was really clicking except for him. Mm-hmm. So I guess, I don't know, do you feel like Clay Thompson, like, do you trust him to help you win this, this finals? Or, like, do you, do you feel like he needs to just let Steph take over completely like because obviously I know a lot of a lot of his shots did come in the fourth quarter when it didn't matter but for him to put up 19 shots when he's shooting that poorly mm-hmm. I, I just I don't think that they can afford to allow Clay to continue just jacking up shots at this point in the season it's too late like he's not getting any better in the next five games maybe if there's even five games left I I don't know. How do you feel about that? I don't. I think it's it's tough to say because I just don't think they really have anybody better to put out I'm there. Jo- I Jordan Poole, de- right? From a defensive perspective, uh, okay. like Clay Thompson, we're, Clay Thompson's still a solid a solid big boy. You know, he's six seven, <laughs> can still run around with some of these Celtic with these longer yeah. Celtic wings. I know he's. I just iterated how he's not as good defensively as he used to be. But he's still better than Jordan Poole. He's still better than um, I don't know who else. Well, what about Gary Moses Payton? Moody. What about Gary Payton? He's back. Unless you can get Gary Payton a little bit better than maybe, which I think they did. They played twenty five minutes in game two. So yeah, I mean it's an interesting point to bring up where Steve Kerr balances that because you are. I think you do. You are sacrificing by taking somebody off like Clay Thompson. Not if he's going to shoot four of nineteen. <laughs> yeah, and I think you do have to still gamble a little bit because it's like if the Celtics start easing off of him because they start noticing that maybe that that sets up maybe that sets up a big game like game six Clay Thompson against Memphis uh, uh, so you, 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 okay. you get one of those games from him I think you, you still gotta bet on him a little mm. bit that he can find his stroke in one of yeah. these especially if the Celtics make the drastic decision to completely you know lean ignore off of him, him. and, and yeah. ignore him and maybe that sets up for, for yeah, exactly, okay. the Game 6 heroics that we saw in Memphis. So you, so you think that the Celtics still respect him enough that they're not that it does help open up the floor a bit for Steph still just because they, they still stick a man on Clay even though he's been shooting poorly. Exactly. They still are, are still willing to stick on him. And on the other end, I don't really think there's a better – there's a better – a better guard Steve Kerr can put out there for. Yeah, I, than, I think Gary yeah. Payton is is as good a defender as Clay at this point. Like, yeah, I, at this point in, yeah. in the season, I I think that's true. Obviously, I think Clay's a better defender in general. Like once he's you know back in shape, but he's just not back in shape. Yeah, I just don't. I just don't think Game Three is 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 like the game to start panicking about Clay Thompson. I think if you're down, if you go down three one. 
well then maybe let's start let's start <laughs> yeah. thinking like th- mm-hmm. like you're down two two one and and like it's looking really dire in the after the third quarter or halfway through the qu- third then let's yeah. take out clay thompson let's run it with gary payton pool and curry sure. but that that lineup just doesn't to me doesn't feel like it's much it's any stronger than with clay thompson defensively uh i just feel like the celtics are gonna light that lineup up hmm. okay yeah i can see that i mean yeah, maybe I'm I'm the writing Clay off too much just because he's been out for so long. But yeah, it's just it's hard for me to think that you know a guy like this can be in this position. You know, <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. Clay Thompson's been lighting it up for so long. Uh, you're not used to seeing him struggle like this, so it makes me worried that he doesn't have it anymore. But maybe maybe he'll prove me wrong. There's enough in there, and there's still the off chance that you know you get that game six, yeah. Clay Thompson, because that Clay Thompson put that Memphis Grizzlies team away when it looked <laughs> like they were yeah. still dangerously close. Yeah, Gary Payton six three one ninety. I mean, he's a good I, defensive he, guy, but he's, yeah, you can't measure his uh, defensive ability off of his attributes. He's way better than his size will tell you. Yeah, I think so, but I mean, it's hard to put. How can you put a six six dude? When you got, especially when you got to defend the length of the, the Celtics, dude, he's wings. been he's been guarding bigger guys the whole season. Like, it's no, that's no, uh, that's that's no challenge for him. He's done that a million times. Marcus Smart does that all every game. Uh, yeah, I think these small guards, like at least some of them, I feel like they they don't get as much respect just because of their height. Mm-hmm. But they they can guard guys way bigger than them. I mean, we see Draymond Green guard centers all the time. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Well, we'll see. We'll see what they do. Yeah. I do. I did want to shout out one guy going mm-hmm. into this series. I know we didn't record a finals preview podcast, but if we did, there was one guy I was going to say is in, is going to be an X factor for the Warriors, and that was Kevin Looney. Ah. Kevin Looney <laughs> has been quietly been a very X factor, impactful guy for the Warriors ever since. Um, Steve Kerr started opting him for more minutes in that Memphis series. I think like game game after game five or something like yeah. that. Uh, Kevin Looney six for six in game two, 12 points, seven rebounds. It's just doing work out there. Yeah. Yeah. He did pretty well. I do wonder though, if a lot of that is because Robert Williams looks very hobbled out there on mm-hmm. the Celtics side. Like it might be easy pickings for, for Looney if Robert Williams isn't, able to slide his feet as well as he normally would and doesn't have the same energy he normally would. But, you know, yeah, credit to him, man. He's playing really well. I think, yeah, he's like six for six for those 12 points in, in game two, uh, just mm-hmm. getting some put-back dunks and whatnot. So he's playing his role, you know. That's what you need these guys to do. If they play their role perfectly, then you have a great shot to win. Yeah. Another interesting guy was is also – Grant Williams, who was mm. huge for the Celtics uh, in the last two rounds, yeah. especially like first round against Durant, whatnot. Hasn't really had a good game so far. <laughs> two for two, yeah. 21 minutes, okay, in game two. 0 for two, not a single point in game one. Mm-hmm. Non-factor. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I Yeah, it is interesting. Like, you you know this guy can shoot the three. He's, he's done it pretty well, and like you said, in the previous two series. So we'll we'll have to see if they start to include him more. I think, you know, there's that, you know, classic saying that the role players play better at home. So mm-hmm. maybe they'll start going to him more in games three and four. Uh, we'll start to see that a little more. But, yeah, pretty much nothing in, in the first two games. And yeah, I don't, maybe that's just because, you know, Jalen Brown's just taking all, all the shots. Uh, maybe because Tatum and Horford are taking all the shots. But, um, yeah, he's he's been a non-factor so far. Yeah, it's an interesting one. So, game three, who takes game three, Sean? And, you know, for the recording, who takes the series? I know you've already <laughs> shared your thoughts on it. But who takes game three? Who takes the series? So, I think that I think that the Warriors will take game three. Ooh, in I Boston. Do. Yeah, in Boston. I, I think that the Celtics will still be a little shell-shocked from, from the loss to Golden State. I don't think they'll have quite figured out how to make up that that deficit yet. Um, it might take them another game to really sort th- through things and, and figure it out. Um, and they'll come out more desperate game four and, and probably get that win. 
Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to give it to Golden State for now. Um, they made a big move in game two. Uh, when you blow out a team by that much in the finals, like over the course of the game, like, I know the Celtics did it to them for one quarter, but Golden State took it to them for a full game. Um, mm-hmm. and that, that's hard to come back from. So uh, I'm going to give it to Golden State. But for the series, for the series, I'm still going Golden State. I'm 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 going with the I'm going with the betters. I'm not going with with the, with the uh, five thirty eight uh, simulations. Uh, <laughs> I I think the the Warriors will will they'll win it in six. Um, I I think that the experience is just too much for Boston to overcome. But they'll they'll be there for a while. Like they'll they'll come back into the finals for sure. Nice. I. I'm gonna go the complete opposite of you. I like, I like it. the saying. <laughs> I like the saying. The role players play better at home. Yeah. Grant Williams. We haven't seen a big game from him. I think there's still a big game from him. Uh, I think we still see. We haven't seen the end of Derek White. Uh, and I think Tatum hasn't had his iconic an iconic finals game either. Yeah, he had, he had a decent game in game two. Just no one else around him did. Like, yeah. He got 28 points in three quarters. I think if the Warriors are going to play what they did in Game 2, where they basically focused a lot more on zeroing on Brown and the, these role players giving Tatum more of his shots in Game 2, I think they do that again in Game 3, and I think Tatum punishes them for it and wow. goes off for 45. I think there's Woo! a 40-point, 40, 40 <laughs> 45-point game left in this kid. And I think, they're, he's gonna, I think it's coming in Game 3, so... I got the Celtics taking that one with a big game from Tatum. All right. And as much as I hate to say it, I'm not rooting for the Celtics, <laughs> but I think they, they win it. I just think they still have more pieces. They're younger, and uh, the length and their versatility is just going to be too much for the Warriors. I think they take it in six. Wow. Win it in, win it in San Francisco. Whew. Well, actually, that would be on their home court. Oh yeah, six. never mind. Yeah, yeah. Win a game six in Boston. Dang, that's that's a big time bet, man. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you asked past Allen about this moment right now, where you pick the Celtics in six <laughs> in the NBA Finals, he would laugh at himself. <laughs> <laughs> what what a what a polarization of takes. At the beginning of the year, I said the Celtics were going to be a high lottery team. They were going to get. 38 wins, <laughs> and they were going to make some trades, and they were going to go gonna tank, and they right? were going to, yeah, they were going to. I didn't think they were going to completely tank, but they would go, <laughs> you know, get the 13th or 12th or 14th pick in the draft. Um, so, and now they were, they're probably going to win the NBA championship. <laughs> Crazy. Uh, I, I hate having <laughs> to bring up. I, I hate having to make you bring up that take every time, Alan. <laughs> but man it's just too funny <laughs> i felt really good about it i just yeah. felt the way they were trending tatum was not doing well jalen brown got was injured pretty often in the regular season last year i just felt that something yeah. was gonna blow so there's gonna be a rift here of frustration and there was there for a while there was. it looked like my take was trending in the right direction yeah but Credit to this franchise. They they made that trade for Derek White. They maneuvered some pieces and shoot, that's what it took. Getting Dennis Schroeder and Ennis Freedom off this roster <laughs> changed it. Yeah. Can't say I'm too surprised that moving those guys off the roster was a positive thing. But yeah, yeah no, it, I mean the fact that they were able to get the guys back they did in, in Al or well, Al Horford being the Kemba Walker trade too, even. Uh, we can mm-hmm. go back to that and then yeah getting getting a, a guy like Derek White just to come in and, and contribute right off the bat is huge um and getting Tice back you know just just for the the culture of the locker room guy that's experienced in the system it's just is great all around um mm-hmm. moves by them throughout the season I actually just realized that there are two takes of mine that look foolish now oh no so there's a Boston <laughs> take that I said I thought they'd win like 38 games. Yeah. Can't be a high lottery pick team. Um, high ends in terms of like 13, mm-hmm. 14. Right. Late, I guess late lottery pick is a better word to say. Um, but the Al Horford contract, I said, was the worst contract <laughs> in NBA history. <laughs> but it actually looks like it's worth it now. $27 million this year for a dude who's 
been a huge game changer for you in the playoffs and won a finals game they for did you. in game one yeah mm-hmm. uh, that that year off in okc was just what the doctor ordered for al horford man to revitalize this guy's career he's just been out there for so long and he's just playing as great as he ever has been obviously game two is a totally different story but I I doubt that's the last we've seen of Al Horford in this series. I, I bet he'll make a good comeback in one of these home games. Um, mm-hmm. So the the worst contract now belongs to Duncan Robinson. <laughs> I think we can say that with with full confidence. Yikes! I don't <laughs> even know what he averaged in the playoffs, but it, it seems like, like it's like going to be three below. minutes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because back to the Horford point, it's like if. Horford can't give you 25 plus minutes and isn't doing what he's doing. Then the Celtics are having, or would have to roll with Daniel Theis mm-hmm. and a very hobbled, inconsistent Robert Williams. Right. I don't think they make it to the finals. Oh no, definitely not. He is a big part of it. That yeah, yeah. they didn't make that trade. Yeah. I mean, we saw what Kemba's become too. So the fact mm-hmm. that that they were able to get Al Horford for Kemba and they did it trading draft picks away which is something Danny Ainge would never have done in a million yep. years. That guy would never trade a draft pick to save his life. <laughs> and the first year in, of Brad Stevens, he trades the draft pick straight away um, to get rid of Kemba's contract and to get Al Horford in there and, and look look at the, what they've gotten for it. You know, it's, yeah. They're, they're actually using their draft picks wisely now instead of just hoarding them. Yeah, just getting that incremental value. Uh, and Horford, who in the playoffs, let's see, uh, I had it here. In the playoffs, Hal Horford, 12 points, 9 rebounds, 51% shooting from the field, and 46% shooting from three. That's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> who knew Al Horford would be a great three-point shooter, right? Yeah, that's a... That's outrageous. Yeah, uh, his strokes clean too. I, he mm-hmm. he shoots really well. Yeah, he's a he's a good guy. He's a good player. Um, yeah. But so one cool. last one last thing I want to talk to you about as far as this finals goes, and we can move on to a couple other news points. So uh, there's one moment where uh, obviously you know Draymond Green got into a scuffle with Jalen Brown. You know, just typical Draymond Green stuff. And they brought on Steve Javi like they do in a lot of games to to give like a ex referee's perspective, and they're like, they they asked him straight up because Draymond Green already had a technical foul in this game from earlier. Do you consider if a player already has a technical, if you're going to give them a second technical and kick them out of the game? And he straight up said, "Yeah." He said, "Yeah, we we do take that into account, and if if this this second potential technical." doesn't look that bad they won't call it even if it would have been a technical if it was his first technical which yeah. i think a lot of a lot of fans a lot of people kind of were expecting that was the case but now we know for sure that that is the case is that shady for you or do you think that's legit and that's how it should be well i think i think there's always a human element to refs that's like impossible to gauge predict slash control uh like kind of a little off topic but long time ago i listened to this very cool npr podcast where a bunch of team of researchers just broke down data to figure out what exactly home court advantage means Hmm. and their final conclusion was home court advantage is essentially the influence that the home court fans environment team have on the refs not on the players on the refs, huh. home court te- teams that are at home tend to get more favorable calls in general. Like, obviously, there's nuances. Mm-hmm. And this is also not a su- super conclusive study. You can, I'm sure there was a lot of holes in it and other people have done others. But I think there's some truth to it. Mm-hmm. And again, refs are humans. So it does the home crowd influence them sometimes and and the energy and the vibe of the building i think so Mm. and i think this is one of those cases where you gave yeah you gave a very important player at one technical he's at home yeah having a great game impacting it if you give him that second technical kick him out then you You probably are the whole game yeah you're shifting the whole game 
and I think that makes the the refs. I feel like they know that. Therefore, I think they start hesitating and they think a little bit more as opposed to going off their first instinct, which the first instinct would probably be to make, you know, the right call because I feel like these guys have been doing it for so long. Yeah. They they kind of know what that looks like. So, I mean, does it feel shady? A little bit, yeah, but I also feel like it's also not as easy as people might think it is to control. Yeah. So I'm actually pretty surprised that the NBA actually aired that take right on that. Oh, yeah. like that take was actually aired on national yeah. tv because i feel like it's one of those things that's like there's you know there's something not perfect happening under the hood mm-hmm. but you would prefer your general customer to not know that because <laughs> yeah it's a little shady but it's yeah. still under control right. to to a certain degree uh, but if people found out about it they may not completely understand or have all the context. So they'll blow it up and make it a bigger deal than it probably needs yeah. to be. And I think that's exactly what happened because social media the last few days has just been buzzing about Draymond Green's play <laughs> and how, you know, I mean, even Jalen Brown had a quote in the presser about it. And I do think Draymond Green does get away with a lot of things, but yeah, I think it's just an interesting take and I think it's hard to completely control it. And ideally, I think you would give that second technical if it's truly a technical and uh, and and you and you would remove that guy. But I think it's I feel like it's not always that simple, I guess, is my is my final point yeah. there. Yeah. So you, you kind of agree with with the principle of why they reconsider it based solely yeah, off I- of them having a technical already. Yeah, it's not so so much that I agree with it, but I understand mm-hmm. why it happens. Like I yeah. get it. Like it's just it, it does feel like you would you would be impacting the game more so than the players themselves or the coaching right. or, or the adjustments made. Yeah, uh, but I think I think there's got to be a balance that has to be figured out now by the NBA. And I think having aired that take on national <laughs> TV could be influential for Game Three. Uh, yeah, in terms you can see of like guys, how... you can see guys, yeah, like playing dirtier, right? Because they mm-hmm. they think that the refs won't give them a second technical. Or you could see the refs coming out of the gates pretty pretty stiff and pretty rigid yeah. and calling that game three. Yeah, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if that actually takes place. They, the refs know that these guys are have been very chippy this whole series. Mm-hmm. Like, there's already been a couple scuffles. Obviously, with Draymond Green at the center, pretty much all of them. Uh, you got Marcus Smart on the other side too, and he's he's been in that too. But on, I think I think it's good. It's good that it exists. It's bad that it got out. You know, mm. because I agree. I think you don't want to impact the game that much if you're a ref. And it's like the way that they give out technicals this this day and age too. I mean, you know gonna sound like a nba player uh 60 year old nba player but they don't play the the game the same way they used to like all Mm -hmm. these technical fouls quote unquote are just like hard common fouls back in the day so i already don't agree with a lot of the technical fouls that happen anyway so i'm totally fine with them maybe looking the other way on some of these questionable technicals that they that they go to review I'm totally fine with it. But yeah, I think coming out with that and saying on national TV, it does make it seem a little sketchy. Probably shouldn't have done it, but you know, Steve Javi's got nothing to lose. He's not a ref anymore. So what are they going to (laughs) do? Yeah. So yeah, I think for me, I mean, it's just, it is what it is, right? Like it's hard to really call, make the right calls all the time because it also changes game to game. Like what is the overall energy of that game like a regular season game guys can probably be thrown out pretty inconsequentially all the time right but you're in the nba finals like you probably don't want to completely decide the game off a technical yeah the difference between a team make winning the championship and not i mean that's that's a burden you'd have to carry with you the rest of your life like did i ruin a team's chance at the championship Mm -hmm. off a ticky tack technical foul like that that's that's not something you want to be remembered for yeah, exactly. And it's it's not just about it's also like, yeah, you could influence. But like if the game is being played physical, you might be able to look back at the tape and identify, you know, 20 different 
sequences where the almost the exact same level of yeah, physicality right. was had, had occurred. And an NBA Finals game, like dudes want to win so bad that you know shady stuff happens. <laughs> you know, people oh, yeah. getting slightly punched, people getting slightly <laughs> elbowed. Yep, it's just like it's just it's just the game. That's just the way it is. So uh, it, it, it's just it's not always perfect. So I think the big I think my biggest takeaway is like what now that this came out on national TV, people are talking about it. Like what? How does this influence Game Three? So. We'll see how how that game is ra- is officiated off the gates mm-hmm. once that game kicks off. Also, can I mention that it is just so lame that they're playing a game every like three days? Mm-hmm. Why do you need so much time in between games, especially when it was the first two games in Golden State? Like you're not traveling at all. Like why do you need two extra days? Why why do you need two days of rest? Like, what are we, like, why are we prolonging this final so much? Like, I looked, if this goes to game seven, this series won't be over until June 19th. Wow. This series will last three weeks. Why is there so much gaps in between these games? I don't get it. Yeah, I'm going to guess it's probably the compromise, given that the league is no longer doing the 2-3-2 format for the NBA finals. Um given the back and forth cross country travel, I guess. Uh, I'm fine with three days in between, like traveling from place to place. But like, why was there two days of full rest in between game one and two when you're not traveling? Yeah, I agree. I (laughs) I, I like the games kicking off, but you never know. I think maybe, what was it? I think the hockey conference finals happened Saturday. Maybe. Oh, come on. These are not overlapping fans. (laughs) (laughs) like i gotta think there's gonna be there's probably something like that like you know like the nba never has games during the march during the yeah during march madness yeah yeah like the final four yeah the final four days yeah that's comparing basketball to basketball though like there's no other basketball happening right now yeah i i have like one friend that's a hockey and basketball fan (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i agree with you i want to see these games occur more like i'm tired of like i've been bored man i've been bored in between all these games like come on there's gotta be something happening nothing Mm -hmm. i'm with you on that i'm totally with you (laughs) um yeah any other points here i think we made our that that was the last one i I wanted to remember to bring up because it's just been so lame with with so little action going on in these finals (laughs) yeah okay I'm ready to move on to yeah. so other news, other stuff happening. He eliminated. Uh, so what does that bring on with the rest of 99% of the league, you know, on vacation now <laughs> is uh, potential rumors. The big one is Zach Levine. He's ba- essentially the biggest potential free unrestricted free agent going into the market this coming year. So there is a rumor trade for the Miami Heat to potentially send Zach Levine there. There's also always connections to the Lakers. Of course, somehow the Lakers are going to move the moon in the sun, (laughs) clear the salary cap to bring on any free agent that they want. Those yes, anything's possible when you're the Lakers somehow, right? (laughs) Yeah, I I think Zach Levine would be a a good fit for the Lakers. He's a yeah, of course he'd be a good fit. Make him (laughs) make him fit on the team by getting that trade to happen somehow. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, maybe I don't know. Apparently, every every team loves THT, so a THT oh, yeah. and of course, and anything and but anything. But the Miami Heat, <laughs> but the Miami Heat one situation here that you put this rumor seems like pretty reasonable. Yeah, Duncan Robinson, Tyler Harrow. Um, you also have Max Struess, Glenn Robinson. These pieces, some potential draft picks for a sign and trade with Levine. I mean. If Levine's going to walk with the Bulls, you might as well get something for him. And yeah, if it means exactly. getting these guys, hey, that's what you do. Yeah, I, I know that Miami is a little disillusioned with Tyler Harrell. I mean, this is a guy that obviously came off a great regular season. and averaged 20 points a game, sixth man of the year. But when push came to shove, he wasn't really there for them in the playoffs as much as they needed him to be. And mm-hmm. there might be some attitude issues there um i know that he's not exactly the most mature human being um so maybe they want to try to bring in someone else that's a little more proven a little more uh dynamic a little more older (laughs) i guess you could say too uh so this this could be 
something that works out. This might be something we see uh, once the offseason hits, which would be that would be a pretty blockbuster. That would set the Miami Heat up pretty well to make a finals run again. So, yeah. um, well, something to look out for, though. Um, a lot of Zach Levine rumors, like you said. Portland's in the running. Uh, Miami's in the running. Uh, the Lakers are going to not do anything. Be, <laughs> <laughs> be rumored to be in the running. Yes, be but... rumored to be in the running. But I'm not sure if we've talked about this a little We haven't yet. But, yeah. But is Zach Levine worth a, mo- a max contract to you? And I've, I've listened to several takes on this, but really? okay. I'm curious what off what your off the cuff take is. Or right, would you be would you be giving Zach Levine a max contract this this off season? So I, I I like to think I'm a practical person, and my obvious answer is no. But yeah. I've seen the players that have gotten max contracts in our league here, right? <laughs> Tobias Harris, Chris Middleton. It's it's just too easy to get a max contract these days if you're a top 20 player in the league. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he will get a max contract. I think he will. I don't think he should. Yeah. I'm that way too. I want to say he's not worth the max contract because it feels like the max contract should be for guys who can consistently be all at first team NBA or second team NBA. You know, you're, you're top 10 in yep. at the minimum. That's uh, top 20. Yeah. But now it's like, it's really been extended out. I mean, I don't know if I consider DeAndre Aiden a top 20 player, but you know, he, he might get a, a max contract. Yeah. You know? But I guess he he's could. also, he's also a much younger prospect. Zach Levine, twenty six years old. He's in his prime. Hasn't played. Yeah, hasn't played. He's only played over seventy games twice in a in, in his yeah. what is this seven seven year NBA career. Mm-hmm. Um, twenty four points, twenty five points a game. Solid. Yeah, he's solid. But is he is he a number one that's going to take you to the conference finals? I guess no, I don't think so. I guess if you're the Miami Heat, though, you don't need him to be the number one. He's the number two. Yeah, that's that's the, one of the best number twos you can ask for right now. Yeah, and I think that's that's that that's like essentially the second piece of my point is that yeah, I don't think he's worth the max contract. But guys get the max contract mm-hmm. because frankly, you are just <laughs> as a team cornered, and yeah. the market is forcing you to pay guys higher. Which is, you know, what? That's just the name of the game. And it's like, if you're the Miami Heat, you want to take this next step. Is there any other piece on the table you can possibly get to make the team better? Maybe, maybe not. But Zach Levine may be your best piece. But the only way to get him is by giving him the max contract. Right. I think it may be worth it for a team that's really been just on the hunt for close to almost close to a decade since LeBron and Dwayne Wade left. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, it's, it's the market, right? It's just, Mm -hmm. if you don't pay it, someone else is willing to pay it because they don't have a top 20 player and they want a top 20 player. And if they can't get a top 10 player, they'll settle for a top 20 and they'll have the cap space to pay him the max. Right. So you have to pay the max to to keep him if if you know money is the number one priority, which it I think it is for a lot of these stars. Obviously, want to win championships too, but they don't want to get shorted themselves to do so, especially at the prime of their career. I mean, Zach Levine, you know, you give him a five year deal, he's he's only going to be thirty one by the end of it. Like you you'll get the best years out of Zach Levine, you know, you hope. Mm-hmm. So it yeah, I think it, it really lines up well for him. He's going to make a lot of money. Yeah, I think so. And then, yeah, someone's going to give him the money. Or if you're the Miami Heat, is there any other option to get a top 20 player on your team? Is there anybody that's willing to move a piece off yeah, a trade? Unless Bradley Beal's available, I, I don't really see who else would fit it, that that type of player. I don't think so. Yeah, exactly. So I think I think Zach Levine's going to get paid. Let's see. I'm not sure where he goes, but we'll find out. Mm-hmm. Uh, other thing. Lakers bring on Devin Ham as a new head coach and have hired Rashid Wallace as an assistant. <laughs> and they've rounded out most of their coaching staff. They bring back Dave Fisdale. They do uh, not John Lucas. bring back. Oh, they do not bring back Dave Fisdale. Interesting. Yep. They do. Um, yeah. I forgot his name. Man, I just forgot the other uh, 
assistant coach Phil Handy. Phil. Oh yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So he he's coming back for the Lakers. Yeah. Um, a lot of, a lot of house cleaning here by by Darvin Ham though. Uh, he's gonna bring mm-hmm. in his own guys that he trusts. And I can't blame him because these Lakers guys didn't get it done last year. So he probably has free reign over any personnel choices he wants to make. Yeah, this is this is such an interesting hire to me. Uh, I mean, if anything, it just shows how tr- true the Lakers rumor mill can be sometimes. Like David Ham was rumored since like since I feel like since a big just not long after Frank Vogel was fired. Yeah, so it's not surprising that he actually ended up being the actual hire. But it is a little bit shocking just because Frank Vogel was a defensive-minded first coach. Devin Ham comes from a you know a Bucks team that is really defensive. heavily handed yep. in defense, mm-hmm. and they bring on Rashid Rish- Wallace, who's like notorious for being just a loud sort of quote unquote <laughs> tough guy. Has Rashid Wallace been coaching at all? I don't know. I don't or know is where he literally is he literally just there to teach people how to be tough? <laughs> like i guess if he's literally just there to tell russell westbrook and anthony davis to not be big babies that is hilarious <laughs> like that you need to bring in a guy just to give some tough love to your star players that are uh maybe a little too big for their britches right now <laughs> i don't know and i think i i i'm that's why i'm a little shocked at these hires because the Lakers just don't have that, I would say, young, you know, undisciplined type of roster. They have NBA stars who know how to play the game. They don't need somebody yelling at them on the sidelines, or at least it appears like they don't. Mm-hmm. But they're also older who haven't. I mean, Westbrook and LeBron, I think the last time I saw LeBron take defense super serious was probably. Well, the championship year, he was, he <laughs> yes, was the championship piece, but, year, yeah. But ever since Miami Heat, he really hasn't been that guy who's like the the the, the focal point of a defense. Mm-hmm. Um, Westbrook, I'm not sure has ever been that. So <laughs> it's just it's interesting to me that they're 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 going even harder on sort of the tough tough guy defensive mentality type yeah. of team with their coaching staff because. It just feels like they don't have the roster for that. Yeah, maybe I'm wrong. The roster is going to get completely disintegrated this offseason. Like the only guys that are going to be coming back are like LeBron, AD, Russ, Horton Tucker, just because he has to, and Austin Reeves. There, you're not going to mm-hmm. see. I don't think you're going to see a single uh, person on the roster that was the same as last year outside of those five guys. Yeah, I also don't know if you can get. Are there any tough defensive guys on free agency? Uh, you can get? I haven't looked I enough at the list, but they're they're gonna have to make something work. But I mean, like like you said at the beginning of the podcast, Warriors number two in defense, Celtics number one. We're seeing that defense does in fact win championships. So even if it hadn't worked out last year, you you gotta lean in even harder because that that's how you get there. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm I'm very interested to see how it goes. I feel like I'm not very optimistic. I feel like I'm going into it. <laughs> Hard to be optimistic about doubting. the Lakers right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but they did sign Devin Ham to four year contract, so uh I mean you're still paying one year off of Frank Vogel, so I think the Lakers are trying to find some continuity with a coaching staff. Yeah, and they well, got that a bit more from, <laughs> from Frank Vogel, but let's see let's see how it goes I with mean, these guys. Four years doesn't mean much. You can just fire a guy whenever you want. It's true too, <laughs> uh, but it is sort of interest. the The timing doesn't seem ideal because I think I would have loved to got to get this guy. Quinn Snyder resigns as the Utah head coach after eight years. Um, this would have been the right guy, I think. I to think, bring. I don't think he's going to be coaching next year, though. He's just straight yeah. up retiring. Mm-hmm. So you done. wouldn't have been able to get him. I think we got it. We, we had to work <laughs> some sort of magic, man, to try to get him because this is the guy you want to try to get. Oh, sure, but I don't think he would. He wouldn't have said yes. He'd be like, "No, dude, I don't want to coach." <laughs> I, I don't know. Offer him like a one percent stake in the Lakers, or something, <laughs> but I think this is the type of guy the Lakers needed. They oh, needed sure. a big name. That would have been nice, but yeah, that uh, I I feel like I was surprised by this, even though I shouldn't have been. Uh, mm-hmm. resigning after after being the head coach for eight years 
had a, had an amazing 372 to 264 win loss record as head coach. Those 372 wins being the second most ever by a Jazz coach, obviously behind the legendary Jerry Sloan, who will never get caught on that list mm-hmm. of Jazz coaches. But man, that's a big blow. I think that's the first domino piece to fall here, honestly, because Quinn Snyder was the reason this team worked. His system worked great for this roster, and to try to find someone to come in and replace that is going to be extremely difficult. I think this is one of those situations where where the, the success doesn't lie with the player talent, it lies in the system. It's like mm-hmm. Phil Jackson's triangle. It, it, when it works, it's because of him. But and it's, it's going to be the same thing here with the Jazz. I, I don't, I don't know who they're going to hire. I doubt that. I'm sure they're scrambling to figure out who they're going to hire. But it's going to be almost impossible to get the same results next year, in my mind. Yeah, I agree. I'm not sure what happens here, especially when you have a young guy like Donovan Mitchell who basically as you know grown up in the nba under under quinn snyder yeah uh anything else outside of quinn snyder is probably going to feel very very foreign to a guy like Dominic. who well, i'm gonna guess he's been coached by quinn snyder longer than outside of any youth coach right he's been with the utah jazz more than five years now i think it's his fifth um, year yeah yeah so i gotta think a guy like Dominic mitchell feels a bit a bit disoriented by this Already having his doubts, I think there's those rumors of uh, t- team cohesiveness not being quite where it needs to be. Um, so the Utah Jazz are trending very dangerous ground. I don't know if they blow it up, considering they. I think I've said this before. We talked about them when they got eliminated. I think that they were just purchased by a new ownership group not too long ago. And I'm not sure that ownership group is excited about potentially having to blow up their roster slash tank and find another star. I I don't know. I just don't really know what the what the what this if this truly means that this team is going to really throw in the towel. I think they're gonna go for it again, and they're probably gonna make another attempt with to keep Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert together. As I know it doesn't feel like it, but I just, I don't know. If you're a new ownership group, why would you blow this up? I, I see them blowing it up at the trade deadline next year. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I'm the minority in thinking the way I do, but it's also very Especially, possible. I mean, this that- ownership's going to see that this this team is doesn't work as well. When you don't have a, a great head coach like Quinn Snyder, they're going to be far out of the playoff picture. And you're going to see them blow it up. They're going to mm-hmm. realize, like, we can't win with, with what we have right now. We have to just rebuild it, you know. It's not what they want, obviously. I, I agree with you on that. The ownership doesn't want a losing team. But you're going to have to cut your losses at some point. Um, this roster is not designed to win an NBA Finals. We've seen this year in and year mm-hmm. out. They need to do something different. And now that Quinn Snyder's gone... It just gives you all the more reason to try something else because you're not going to be able to run it back with the same team with a different coach. You're not going to do any better. Yeah. You got too many old guys on the team too. Bogdan. Conley. uh, Conley. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. Royce O'Neal, the guy, your go-to guy. The worst starter (laughs) in the NBA. (laughs) Yeah, and I guess I'm going to make an argument against myself, too, is that the West is getting getting to be tough next year, too. Yep, Pelicans are coming up. Pelicans. uh, Maybe the Lakers do something. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, maybe they are backed into a corner where they got no choice but to to, uh, blow it up. Or maybe they get really lucky and DeAndre Aiden falls onto their lap and they they agree to a (laughs) sign-and-trade. That would be quite the the plot yeah. twist there. That that would be that would be very interesting. I don't know why they would do that. Uh, <laughs> they already have a center, but they they get sign in, and uh, trade. Sign and trade. Go bear on the Suns. That could be fun. Yeah, potentially. <laughs> Who knows? Um, yeah, we'll see what happens there. Uh, cool. I do have a final thought to close the podcast mm. up. Unless you had any other point on no, here. No, no, that's all I had. Yeah, okay. So the final thoughts. Uh, I actually 
listened to a really good podcast earlier this week. Mikel Bridges. Mikel Bridges had the the balls, you know, <laughs> he was manly, tough enough to jump on a podcast with JJ Reddick not long after, you know, this that infamous game seven breakdown that the Suns oh, had. Yeah. I really didn't think I'd see a Phoenix Sun on <laughs> podcast or on TV. Yeah, or they anything disappeared, like that. man. They disappeared. Yeah. For six months or something, but Mikel Bridges had the guts to come out and talk about that game seven. And it's quite the listen, quite the six minute listen of how he describes. I mean, JJ Reddick just asked him like, you know, what the hell happened to you? Guys? <laughs> and his answer is very genuine and it almost really makes you feel bad for the team because it huh. feels from his answer, like it really did just come out of nowhere. And he sort of describes it that he was just sort of playing the game and not really realizing all he knew was that Dallas was just coming hard at them and they were scoring mm-hmm. and scoring. And then time just flew by. And then he looks up at the scoreboard and they're down 30 points <laughs> and the team is just deflated oh, man. from that. And they are just <laughs> in shock and embarrassed. And it seems like this Suns team is in shambles. Wow, a bit. Um, it's 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 a very good. I think it's one of the best six minute segments of a podcast I've listened to, just because of how honest Mikkel Bridges <laughs> is about what he was feeling during that that game seven. So wow, I recommend I recommend to listen to it. It's uh it's very interesting. Yeah, no, I I'm definitely gonna have to listen to that one. That that is very interesting, and yeah, it does bring up a good point. I have not seen a phoenix sun anything in a very long time <laughs> yeah basically well it's been like a month and a half since that series or something like that um yeah yeah that it's <laughs> I, I i would go off the grid too man i would too after after going out like that that that's crushing um so yeah good it's for a, him it's for a, getting out there yeah it's a good one basically i think the takeaway is uh man yeah some players when it comes down to it, it is not always about basketball adjustments and basketball schemes. Sometimes, yeah, truly the spirit is not there and you just get spanked. And that's <laughs> from what Mikel Bridges described is he seemed a little, little, sh- not, not, he seemed like he wasn't a man of many words really to describe what happened other than that, that they're, yeah. they were just sort of run out the gym. Man. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes that's, that's all you can do to describe it. It's just, yep, it happened, and it sucks. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing I can learn. From yeah, no, yeah, we got, <laughs> we got absolutely murdered. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> yeah, uh, but that's wow. all I got. Uh, anything else, Sean? No, that's a great, that's a great way to end it, man. But man, excited, excited to actually see some basketball tomorrow, man. I feel like I haven't seen basketball in a long time because it's three day break. <laughs> Same here. I'm excited as well. Um, well, thanks everybody for tuning in and uh, we'll continue to break down the NBA finals here up until we crown an NBA champion. So thanks everyone. Yes, sir. Have a good week, everybody. Everybody.